be turning in your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 30. 2 Chronicles chapter 30. I was meditating on the message from last uh, Sunday night dealing with the prodigal's brother and uh, had another thought. And that other thought was this. When the one lamb went astray, the shepherd sought for it. When the coin was lost, the woman who owned it sought for it. When the boy was lost, the boy sought for home. The father didn't go out after him. And that's a happy story because the boy came to his senses. See, a coin couldn't come to its senses, and no doubt the lamb couldn't get back home either. And they needed to be sought for. See, we we have a choice we can make. That coin didn't have any choice as to where it was at, how it got there. Uh, But we have choices to make. And if anybody stays outside of Jesus Christ, it's because you decided not to seek the one who died for you at Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're studying the life of Hezekiah, the king, good king, great king. We're going to read just about nine verses, but preach on the whole chapter, Second Chronicles chapter 30. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover under the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at, the time, at that time because the priest had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together at Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover under the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. And according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not ye like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord of their fathers, our Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if ye return unto him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you tonight for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. Please, Lord, do a work upon hearts today, we pray. I pray our hearts would be open to the many lessons that are found in this chapter for us about true worship before our God and restoring ourselves to that worship that we may come unto him. Lord, please have your way in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. 
Well, you remember we have gone through the background of the two kingdoms. During the reign of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the kingdom was divided. Rehoboam stayed king of the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam led the northern ten tribes to be their own country. And, of course, both of the kingdoms had a total of 19 kings. The 19 kings of the northern kingdom, it is said of each one of them, that they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so in about 726 B.C., you find the kings of Assyria coming down and carrying many of the people of the northern kingdom off and bringing some Assyrians down to also live in that area. That mixed group of Jews and Assyrians became known as the Samaritans. They were despised by the Jews. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom, who also had 19 kings, nine of those kings, it is said of them, that they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, Hezekiah is one of those kings, but something interesting is said about Hezekiah. It is said he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, There was no king before him that was as good as he was. There was no king after him that was as good as he was. He stood out among the kings that did that which was right. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah became king of Judah about the time that the northern kingdom was carried off by the Assyrians. And for some reason, Hezekiah decided to get his nation right with God. You say, why would that be such a surprise? His grandfather did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. His father did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he had really not a spiritual background. The temple was in disuse. There were many altars to pagan gods that were set up around Jerusalem. That's what he grew up seeing. And yet Hezekiah made a decision right from the very beginning of his ministry, that uh, his time as king, that he was going to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord and restore the temple and restore the worship of the temple. Now, you remember when we talked about him in the introductory message, he had two main campaigns. He had a campaign for worship and he had a campaign for war. Of course, he began with this campaign of worship because if your worship is not right, God's not going to be blessing you in the war. There would be no victory in the war. He's going to start out getting everything in his nation right with God. In chapter 29 and verse 5, the scripture says that he endeavored to sanctify the house of the Lord God. We look at his restoring of the temple. We looked at that. We saw that he got the priests busy and the Levites uh, busy cleansing the temple, getting things right in the temple in the very first month of his reign, which was the first month of the year. And as they cleansed the temple, took the rubbish out of the temple, got things right, he took away the high places uh, and all of that. Then the people began to bring in their burnt offerings to consecrate themselves to the Lord. Now there were priests that were doing the sacrifices, but unfortunately for them, there weren't enough of the priests that were sanctified before the Lord to do the sacrifices. So Hezekiah had some of the Levites. And you say, wait a second, aren't all the priests Levites? Yes, all the priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. And they let the Levites who had sanctified themselves to the Lord have a part in the sacrifices for the burnt offerings. Now, that was in the first month. You remember the Passover was to take place on the first 
uh, the 14th of the first month of each year. Well, they didn't get the temple taken care of until the 16th of the first month. So they miss the Passover. And we find in the passage that we read today that they decided they were going to do the Passover for this year, this first year. They were going to do it in the second month. And there is a biblical basis for that in the book of Numbers when Moses started that one Passover in the second month because of things that were going on in Israel. Now, as we study Hezekiah and the renewing of the Passover for Israel, it is significant for two reasons. It commemorated Israel's deliverance from Egypt. And in a sense, this commemorated their deliverance from the sin that they had been walking in because of the evil kings before them. There's another reason for the Passover that the Jews needed it. It was rich in the typology of Jesus Christ. So much of the Passover is a picture of the coming Lamb of God who would go to the cross of Calvary and die in our place, shed his precious blood at Calvary to pay our sin debt so that we could have eternal life. The Passover was the first of three required religious feasts each year. The other two that were required were the Feast of Harvest and the Feast of Weeks. Now, since the Passover was intended for all Israel, remember, he's only king of Judah. He's not the king of the northern kingdom. He's not the king of all the tribes. He's just the king of Judah. But the temple is in Judah. And so you notice in verse 1 of chapter 30, it says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. Since the temple was meant to be a place of worship for all of Israel, the people of Ephraim, the people of Manasseh, people of Naphtali, Zebulun, so on, uh, those ten tribes in the northern kingdom, even though they had been at war with Judah many times and they had just been carried off, there were still some of those followers of Israel, of the northern ten tribes that were still around. And so he issues the invitation for them as well, for everybody. I got news for you. When it comes to our work, service, worship for the Lord, there is no place for division because of race. There's none. He's for everybody. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. You see, his sacrifice was for the world. Every person in the world, his blood was shed for every one of us. And it makes no difference the color of your skin or it makes no difference of where you're at economically in status in your society. Jesus Christ died for all and people all get saved exactly the same way. So he opens up this to everybody because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the first thing that they had to do was send out a proclamation. I mean, if they're going to get this thing done, they have to send out a proclamation to get people to come down. After all, they couldn't go to their Facebook page and put it on their Facebook page and expect people to show up. There was no Facebook page. That's hard for us to believe, isn't it? Some of these young people, they don't have a clue what a record player is. I mean, think about just the number of things that have changed just in the last 20 years that would astound us. 
if these people are going to come, and they're not going to be able to get in their cars and drive two hours to come to Jerusalem. It's going to take a trip. It's going to take a trip that's going to require time. It's going to be expensive. It's going to take time away from their businesses. It's going to take time away from their comfort zone to be able to worship. And there the people are going to need to know about it if they're going to show up. They're not going to be doing the Passover in the third month. They're only going to be doing it in the second month. So the temple's been restored and the decision is made. They want to have the Passover. The time to make decisions for service kind of reminds me of as we went through the, uh, as we went through COVID. I don't know about you. Now, we had communion a couple times, but we had it with a cup and the bread underneath it that we passed out. We did, it wasn't the same, was it? It just wasn't the same. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was exciting when we were able to pass the plates again and pass the juice again for the Lord's table. There's a special significance there. It's a time where you ask God to search out your heart and you get things cleansed. Well, he has other people on board. And in verse 5, notice it says, So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan. Now, Beersheba would have been in the southernmost part of Israel. Dan would have been in the northernmost part. If you've read the book of Judges, you know that Dan was not given anything up north. The land that he was given was over against uh, near the Mediterranean Sea on the southeast side of the promised land. But for some reason, they couldn't defeat the Philistines like they should have defeated the Philistines. And so in the book of Judges, we're told about the situation where they sent the tribe up to the northernmost part of the kingdom and gave them the land of Luz, or Light is the name of it. At least that's what they named it. And that's where they stayed, just outside the promised land. By the way, they became the first tribe to go astray. Because of that, they weren't in the land. Now, there's a delay. The delay was because they didn't get the temple sanctified quick enough to do it in the first month. So the second month is when they're doing the Passover this time. Moses did that in Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, uh, one time. Now, why did they have to wait? I'll give you three reasons. Number one, the priests were not sanctified. We find that in verse 3. You're going to do the Passover and the sacrifice with the lamb and all of that. It's going to t- you're going to have to have priests there. Uh, and remember, back in chapter 29, there weren't enough priests even for all the sacrifices that would be made with the burnt offerings. Secondly, according to verse 3, the people were not assembled. If you're going to have a Passover, the people need to be there. That's like if you're going to have church, the church needs to be there. The word church means a called out assembly. If it doesn't assemble, it's not a church. It's nothing. We're to assemble. Thank God we assemble at Madison Baptist Church. So they were not assembled. It would take time to send out posts. It would take a while for people to make the plans because it's not like this stuff was known by anybody. Not only that, the place itself was not purified. In 2 Corinthians or Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 17, the cleansing of the temple was not finished until the 16th. So since the temple was not ready, they could not have had the Passover then. Normally, according to Leviticus 23 and verse 5, 
The Passover began on the 14th day of the first month. The lack of purity, I want you to get this. The lack of purity always hinders worship. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's the next word? Holy. Holy. He doesn't just say present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says holy, which is acceptable unto God. God wants God's people to walk Holy. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and God, and uh, your sin has hid his face from, uh, from you. You see, sin gets in the way of our worship with God. There are a lot of people going to churches. They won't do a thing to get their hearts right with God, to get their lives right with God, and think God ought to just allow them to worship, and it doesn't work that way. Remember, Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Then he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. We see the delivering of the proclamation in verse 6. So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hands of the kings of Assyria. So they're sending out the post. It's basically saying, return to God. Return to God. Turn again to the Lord God. The people in the north and the people in Judah as well had allowed worship of false gods. And please understand this. False gods are false gods. You know, it's like genders. There's only two. With gods, with God, there's only one. All other gods are false gods, made up in the mind of men. Now you've got some of these woke personalities up there in the White House. Matter of fact, one senator was being condemned the other day for pronouncing that there was only two genders. Uh, Transgender is nothing that God created. There's only two genders, and he was accused of inciting violence and racism because he said there's male and female. That's what the Bible says. That's how God created us. Everything else is made up. Kind of reminds me of the story when Abraham Lincoln asked some of the people around him, how many legs would a lamb have if you called the tail of the lamb a leg? And, of course, somebody answered right up, he'd have five. He said, no, he'd only have four because calling it a leg doesn't make it a leg. People need to understand. You can come up. I mean, now, now you've got to believe that men can get pregnant. These people, a lot of these people have got college degrees. What kind of college are they going to? They've been educated beyond their intelligence. They don't get it. Then there's delivering of the proclamation as they send the post to all these places. This was not a political move to simply to get people to come down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not just what God intended for Judah. 
but for all of Israel. That's where the temple was at, and he was to be worshipped there. But the message was to get out to everybody, just like the message of salvation. The reason we have so many missionaries out of our church and we support so many other missionaries is the message of salvation is to go to the world. We are to tell everybody that Christ has provided salvation for them if they'll come to him and receive him. There's the exhortation about the return. It would involve both worship and work because, after all, they'd have to get things in order to come on in. And then about the rewards twofold, escaping from captivity and evading judgment for themselves. Look at verses 8 and 9. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Now, it is not popular today to believe that the wrath of God is against anybody. But it is. And the Bible says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You know, one of the jobs of the priest was to make a difference between the the clean and the unclean, between that which is holy and that which was not holy. And the problem is when the priest won't clearly make a distinction between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the profane, then the people are going to be in a fix. They're going to be in great trouble. And when they get into sin, that invites the wrath of God. Verse 9, for if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if he return unto him. You know, the truth is, if you're a parent, you ought to want to be right with God so that your children can be blessed more. Whether you're right with God or not has an effect, an impact upon your children. So if you really love your children, you would bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord God of the Bible. You would make sure your life counted for him. And note what the response was to this post, all right? Here's Hezekiah. He sends out the post. We're having the Passover. Gives the dates. Come on in. Notice in verse 10. So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. What was the response? Same response you get a lot at a lot of homes around Madison, Alabama. They laugh, they mock, they're so intelligent, they think they know more than the God of the Bible. They think they do. And think, who are you to come around and tell us about Jesus Christ? Well, we do it because we're commanded to. Jesus said, go into all the world. And by the way, he doesn't say, go into all the world and share the gospel. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. To all the world. That's not just from the pulpit. We're to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. But in every land, wherever the gospel has been preached, 
There have been people who have mocked and scorned those who were delivering the message to them. But notice, thank God, everybody's not that way. Verse 11, Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. Now, those who had the responsibility to deliver the, uh, the uh, post about the Passover, they were responsible to be faithful, just like we're responsible to be faithful, to share the message of salvation with the world. Faithful. In the places they went, the proclamation they gave, they were to be faithful. Madison Baptist Church is to be faithful. Number two, then to spell out the particulars. What about this meeting? Think of the families here. They're off many miles away from Jerusalem. They're in the northern kingdom area. They've already been through a lot of upheaval because the the Assyrians have gone through and uh, basically spoiled the land. But some of these people that are left decide to go down to Jerusalem and they've got to make arrangements. But they need to know the particulars. Notice in verse 14. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them under the brook Kidron. There were some altars that needed to be destroyed. They had cleansed the temple. Now they're cleansing the city. They're getting altars out of the city. Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priest and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings unto the house of the Lord. There is a purifying here before this Passover can take place. By the way, all those altars that were around Jerusalem, those were put there by Hezekiah's father, by Ahaz the king. So this cleansing is the second stage of the three-stage cleansing for, for, uh, of the land from idolatry. And not only that, there's the properness of the Passover regarding the lamb. Look at verse 15. Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests, the Levites, were shamed, sanctified themselves, brought in the burnt offerings unto the house of the Lord. Where on earth did they get the instruction for all these sacrifices? They got it from the law of Moses which had been given practically, oh, let's see, that would be about 600 years before. It was still good. By the way, God's word is still good, all of it. Every bit of it. Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. In verse 16, you got the sprinkling of the lamb's blood. It says, and they stood in their place after their manner. Uh, Here it is. According to the law of Moses, the man of God. Do you think it would have been acceptable for a man to bring in his lamb and say, listen, my family and I, we're pretty good folks. Only take half his blood for us and spread the other half around to other people. Do you think that would work? No, it wouldn't work. It had to be done according to God's word or it was no good at all. 
Now Hezekiah the king and the priests that had sanctified themselves and the Levites that were desiring to serve the Lord, they are doing this. I like the way he words it here. According to the law of Moses, the man of God. Now there are a number of men that are referred to in the scripture as men of God. Here we find it recorded of Moses. Let me tell you about every man of God in the scripture. They were men. None of the men of God were women. All of them were men. But that means also none of them were perfect. Even Moses, you remember, he was barred from going into the promised land because he smote the rock instead of spoke, speaking to the rock the second time he was eat water from the rock. He was a man of God, but he wasn't perfect. You got people out there on these Christian web blogs and they mock the term man of God. I wouldn't mock that. It's a biblical term. And the term man of God doesn't mean the person you're referring to is everything that he ought to be. Now, I believe if he is a man of God, he wants to be everything he ought to be. But you remember the man who has the moniker put upon him, man of God, more than any other is a man we don't even know his name. It's the prophet when the kingdoms were divided to the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Jeroboam went north and he built an altar at Bethel. And that man of God was told to go up and preach against the altar. And he was told after you preach against the altar, don't wait around, leave and get back to your home. You'll remember, of course, the king even tried to get him to stay even after he pronounced that curse upon the altar. Um, But he wouldn't stay. But then there was an older prophet that lied to him and said, well, God told me you're to come home and eat with me. And so he went home to eat with the old man. And then God gave that old man a message, since you didn't obey God by going home and God said, a lion's going to meet you in the way, and it's going to kill you. Exactly like God said. And sure enough, that man got ate up. That man of God got ate up because he didn't obey God like God said to obey him. Thank God for men of God. Thank God for men who will stand for the word of God. But you know, to whom much is given, much shall be required. If you're a man of God, you better make sure that you're walking according to his word and obeying his word. So they did all this according to the law that Moses had given under God's direction. And they obeyed it. Now that's a smart move. And then they had the prayer for the Passover. Look in verse 18 about... Well, we'll begin at the beginning of the verse. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and heal the people. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread. Now look at this, seven days. This wasn't a Sunday morning service. This is a week-long service. They kept it 
seven days. This is a commitment. We don't know how long it took some of them to even get to Jerusalem and how long it would take them to get home. But they had blocked out time to get right with God. And sometimes it takes time. I want you to get that. Sometimes it takes time. Uh, If you found this out, if you've been saved very long, that there are times God deals with you about a problem right now in your life. You've got other problems, but you'll never get to those until you take care of the one he's dealing with right then. And then when that one gets right, then he starts dealing with you about the other things to clean up your life. The truth is there are times that it takes take time. You don't want to stop short. You want to make sure your walk with God is everything that it ought to be. So he prays for these people. Do you understand that God's looking for a heart that loves him? Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart, wrote Jeremiah. God wants us to seek for him with all our hearts. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, he says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. As long as we're wanting to hold on to the world, our hearts are never going to be right with God. No man can serve two masters, Jesus said, for you cannot serve God and mammon. For either love one, hate the other, or or hate the one and serve the other. No man can serve God and mammon. It's one of the two. You have to make your choice. How close do you want to be with God? Now, there's a problem uh, with the Passover. In verse 17, when he said, For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified, therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passover for every one that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. God wants us clean. And when we are not clean, there's a problem. You get up to sing a special, sing in the choir, teach a Sunday school class, do your ushering, work in the nursery, Help out on the bus, work in junior church, and your heart's not right with God. That's a problem. That's a problem. God wants us clean in serving him. All right, they're priests. Hey, I can go down to the temple. Wait, you've got to sanctify yourself. You've got to get things right. Things have been wrong for a long time. You've got to get things right. Then you can serve him. Now, then we see the sensing of the pleasure of the obedience. All right, they've obeyed God. They've had the Passover. They've spent the seven days. The evidence of joy begins to be seen in these people as they kept it seven days. Look at the end of the verse. Singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. In the middle of that verse 21, they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days. I like this. With great gladness. In verse 21, we read the term great gladness. In verse 23, gladness. In verse 25, rejoiced. In verse 26, great joy. You see, when you get right with God, there's bound to be joy. And here they are, man, seven days they've set aside to the Lord. And uh, the scripture says in Psalm 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It ought to be a glad thing to be able to come to church. I tell you what, our first service back during the COVID thing, our first service back 
We may not have been many, but we were glad to be back. When we were able to do the Lord's Supper, we were glad to do it. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of joy when we had our first shake hands song, and that was just a few months ago. There was a different spirit. You ought to enjoy being at the house of God. I feel sorry for people who go to the house of God, well, because it's, well, it's Sunday and we got to go. That's sad Christian life that's like that. Ought to want to be there. Psalm 28 and verse 7 declares, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. An explanation of that joyous scene, a great congregation was coming back to the Lord. I rejoice when people come back to God. Man, by the way, there won't be a revival without that. There won't be a revival without. There's just something about being clean. I remember when I was a teenager and I'd work for my uncle out on the farm, they did have a chicken coop. And I don't remember how many chickens they kept, but it wasn't like these chicken houses, you know, that they have around here, down around Coleman and Arab and some of those different. It wasn't chicken coops like that. I mean, this is a chicken coop that maybe, maybe went from, oh, let's see, the backside of the piano to the wall and was probably about, well, maybe 20 feet wide. But, you know... (laughs) For what they did back then, now this goes back to the 19, early 1960s, and uh, to clean it, what they'd simply do is go in and put straw over what was already there. Well, after a while, straw and chicken stuff and straw and chicken stuff and straw and chicken stuff, and during the summer, it gets pretty hot in there, stinky in there. Well, I had the job one summer of cleaning out the chicken coop. And that meant a lot of digging with a pitchfork. Matter of fact, you used pitchfork to break things up. And then I'd use the shovel. And I want to tell you, by the end of the day, I would come out of there. I stunk. Now, I was a typical kid. I wasn't crazy about taking baths. But I didn't complain about taking a bath then. And you know what? It just felt good to be clean. Now, some of you older people, you remember what it was like when you were young and you had jobs to do where you just got stinky and smelly and it just felt good to be clean. Well, I got news for you. A spiritual bath feels even cleaner. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The extent of the joy is seen in verse 25. And all the congregation of Judah with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel and that dwelled in Judah. Look at the term. They rejoiced. Verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. I don't, my picture of church before I got saved, I was a country western disc jockey and I couldn't imagine why people wanted to go to church on Sunday and frown with everybody. But after I got saved, my sins forgiven, man, I was happy. And I was glad to be in the house of God. I understood it. I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to miss the preaching of the word of God. I didn't want to miss being with God's people. There was a joy that was there, true joy of being right with God. We wonder why we can't have 
the revivals like they had in the old days, Billy Sunday and, and R.A. Torrey. I mean, where bars were closed down and brothels were closed down uh, because people got saved. Nobody, nobody was going to those places. In some cases, the owners of the businesses were getting saved. They were shutting it all down on purpose. It wasn't all about money. Once you get saved, by the way, it's not all about money. Once you get saved, it's just about walking close with God. You know, Billy Sunday, he'd have those big meetings. And uh, matter of fact, with Billy Sunday, it was basically his preaching. He was the main preacher that was known around the country that was behind the time of prohibition. Now, the news media makes that out like it was a bad thing. That's what brought about Al Capone. No, Al Capone was wicked before prohibition. He just used that because there were a lot of people that uh, they wanted to break the law, just like people do now with drugs that haven't been legalized. I mean, we got a bunch of idiots serving in a lot of Congresses around the world that think somehow if you do away with all the laws, no one will go to jail. But then no one will be safe in their own home. Oh, they're not safe now, are they? Isn't that amazing? Well, Billy, Sunday, he would preach for six weeks in a place, and I'm not just talking about at night. They'd have services in the morning every day. They would go to businessmen's lunches from 12 until 1. Guys would get off work. They'd go to a, a place that was set aside, and they'd have a time of prayer and of preaching. And then they'd be preaching at night. Billy Sunday wouldn't give an invitation until six weeks had gone by. He would just preach every day and preach every day, preach every day. After six weeks go by, he'd start giving invitations. And people got saved. Hearts needed to be prepared. And we think somehow we're going to have an old Billy Sunday revival. And we have now a three-day revival from Monday through Wednesday. I'm sorry, the human heart doesn't work like that. We need to have some things broken down, and the preaching of the Word of God does that. Here, these people stay with the Lord, and it says in verse uh, 31, Then the priest, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to this holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. And then finally, verse 1 of chapter 31, Now when all this was finished... All Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah. You know, before, you remember, they cleansed Jerusalem before they did the Passover. They tore down the, the altars that were around Jerusalem. But now they're revived. They go out into the land. They went out to the cities of Judah, break the images in pieces, cut down the groves, threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned every man to his possession into their own cities. That's a revival. I'll tell you when you know you've had revival. When God's people hate sin. We've not had revival. We've not seen revival. I've not seen revival in my spiritual lifetime where, where it was so wonderful that God's people hated sin. You know, one of the complaints about revivals is that they're only temporary. By the way, this revival right here would end. They're only temporary. 
They may be only temporary, but I'd love to be in one. I'd love to go through one. To see people excited about God. I fear, Brother Larry, that I may have to wait till heaven to see a great host of people excited about God and nothing else. Lord, send a revival. I believe he wants us to have one. But we got to be willing to get some things right. We got to be willing to come aside and get alone with the Lord. As you know, we've had super conferences here ever since I've been here. We do it in January. I do it the first of the year because that gives us something to look forward to after Christmas. Six days of preaching, two preachers every night. I believe, and I believe this when I pastored up in Manchester because I did super conferences when I pastored in Manchester. I believe the best super conferences that we've had were when the first two nights of the meeting the last speaker goes extra long. I mean extra long like 9.30, 9.45, 10 o'clock. Now, and now here's my thought. I could be wrong about it. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure the Lord will let me know that in heaven. But you know, if you're here on Monday, that Monday night till 10 o'clock and the next night till 9.30 or 10 o'clock, when you go home, you don't turn on the TV set. And have Hollywood or Fox News, or CNN, undo everything you just heard in the house of God. And you get up the next morning, go to work, and come into church. The best super conferences we have had is when we've had a long-winded preacher go long those first two nights. The rest of the nights don't have to be long. People, when they go home at 9 o'clock, they want to go to bed. And it works out wonderful. Now, you know the sad thing for us is The thought of going to 10 o'clock on Monday and Tuesday night seems kind of laborious. Why would we want that? I'll tell you, you get close to God, you'll desire it and wish you could have it again. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the story of this wonderful king, Hezekiah, how he put you first in his reign. A man that was greatly used because he decided to wholly follow you. Lord, deal with our hearts. May even tonight a revival begin in our own lives by simply coming to you and say, Lord, please search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have your way, I pray in Jesus' name.